I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. G'day, Lewis. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Look, I'm well. And, you know, thanks for jumping on the Zoom for this very casual introduction mm. to this week's Irrational Fear. Oh, that's why you're not wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, like Carl Stefanovic in the Sunday <sighs> lift out this weekend. You know what? I remember doing a pilot for Channel 10 with Heath Franklin and Tom Gleeson where we all were newsmen wearing shorts because we mm. thought that was funny. But now the actual newsmen are wearing shorts because they think it's funny. Uh, this comedy crossover with news is really hurting all the real comedians who really want to try and get jobs on the media. Yeah, I um, I know that in that interview, Carl Stefanovic does talk about how you know at the end of the day they're journo's, you know, and I'm like, mate, are you? We've seen the show. Well, I mean, we haven't, but I've I've heard about it. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... more more people listen to this podcast than watch the Today Show. Yeah. Uh, hey, no, good on him. He's got 17 houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all up and down the East Coast. Look, I just thought it'd be good to get you on and say thank you to the audience for coming out to our live shows this month. We've had such a huge run. Adelaide, Melbourne, Brisbane, thank mm. you so much. Some of the best shows we've ever done. So fun, really great. Like wall to wall, I've had such a great time. We've had incredible guests. We've had beautiful crowds. It has been really fun. It's It's sort of like... I feel like we just need to – I wish there were more comedy festivals in more cities so we could just keep going. <laughs> well, there are. It's just they're not – you know, it's very difficult to tour a six-person show once a festival. It just doesn't financially yeah. make sense. If you want to help it make financially make sense, please join us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Irrational Fear. And I want to say a big shout-out to everyone who came, especially to our Melbourne show, and helped us launch the, the Tim Smith Fence auction. And mm. I'll have you know, Lewis, we have a buyer – and they forked out $3,701 oh. for the Tim Smith fence. Well done to them. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much to whoever that, that is. I, maybe it was Tim Smith just trying uh, to buy back his own piece of history. I can tell you, you and I both know the buyer. 
they are a prominent Australian person who wishes to remain anonymous. Oh. Uh, but I, I can't, you know, I probably won't even tell you off air. Like that, that's, how, wow. that's, that's, how, that's how funny they are about it. That's so interesting. I wonder who it could be. Is it, is it Anthony Albanese? <laughs> I mean, Anthony Albanese knows who I am. I don't know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I once did it. Anthony Albanese came to FBI radio once and, um, and cut a cake for FBI. Oh, wow. And, and I, made a quip in, I made a quip in the room going, oh, bloody politicians always making cuts. And he said, oh, good on you, Dan, always telling jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I played footy against him and broke his finger. Ah, <laughs> excellent. So, you know, we're on his radar. Um, yeah, not in yes. a good way, but, yeah, we're no. out there. I know. If you can imagine someone who loves US politics because of Chappaquiddick, who mm. loves comedy and loves the intersection of US politics, Victorian politics, tomfoolery and comedy, then you might form a picture in your mind's eye who this person might be. Oh, yeah, mm. they also have to have $3,701 spare <laughs> to throw a practical <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interesting. All right, well, I'll, I'll ponder on that and, um, you know, feel free to uh, take guesses uh, at home if you like. You'll never know the answer, nor will I. All right, we're going to be back to pro- regular programming next week. This week, because Anzac Day is coming up this weekend, I thought we'd play one of our better live shows, Lewis, the one we did on Australian secrecy laws. Mm. That was a cracker show. Um, oh, the one at Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Yeah, yeah, really, really good show. And it's got an interview with David McBride in it. But I've also done a follow-up interview with David McBride today where we kind of have a little bit of an exclusive about how he's going to play the Commonwealth at their own game. And he kind of talks through strategies and tactics about how he and his legal team are approaching their big November court date. Uh, Something that's in the interview, so I'll just tell you now, but it's so interesting because he goes, I asked him, will this particular court case be secret? He said, well... I keep saying it's secret, but they keep sending me legal letters saying, don't tell everyone it's secret because it won't be secret unless it has to do with national security. (laughs) Ah. And it's like, didn't you just, didn't you, aren't you on trial for leaking a whole bunch of stuff to do with national security? I said, yeah, that's the point. That's the whole point. (laughs) I mean, that, I I think if you haven't listened to this episode before, (laughs) David McBride talking about some of the farcical situation that he went through um, is just, it's obviously uh, terrifying, but it is also very funny in a in a sort of weird sort of catch-22 Orwellian sense. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really great chat. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the interview first with David McBride I did today uh, and then we'll play the live show. So, you know, there's some comedy at the end, but it's worth listening to David McBride before you get to the big show. Thanks for joining us, Lewis. Oh, a pleasure. Enjoy the show. Yeah, and next week we'll maybe be live from the Sydney Comedy Festival. We'll see. The interview with David McBride and the live show from the Festival of Dangerous Ideas were made on unceded Gadigal land in the Yora Nation. This is A Rational Fear. We've got a very special guest in the podcast studio, David McBride. You might have seen him on um, Law and Order Special Victims Unit uh, or The Practice. Uh, he's also in All the Real Girls. American actor David McBride, welcome to the show. <laughs> I would like to be on Law and Order. Dum, 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 but not Special Victims Unit. That was, that was a little bit uh, It was a little bit edgy. No, no, we, no, of course. That is not the David McBride from Special Victims Unit. We've got Australia's David McBride from Special Whistleblowers Unit. <laughs> You know, you may have heard David on the podcast before. He's a former military officer who's served with both the ADF and the British armies in Ireland and Afghanistan and other places we can't talk about. Um, He now faces, of course, unlimited years.
years in jail for blowing the whistle on war crimes committed by Australian Special Forces in Afghanistan. David, welcome back to Irrational Fear. Thank you very much. We live, live about uh, 500 metres from each other. Oh, always is... whistleblowing, <laughs> always sharing secrets. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Your house might get burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of houses in 500 metres. So they might not be able to find you. <laughs> that, that's right. One of the one of the joys of going for a morning coffee is seeing <laughs> David McBride and Jake walking in the park and throwing throwing the ball. Uh, so it's uh, I saw I thought when I saw him, I saw I saw you the other day. I was like, oh. We've got to get David on the podcast again and catch up where he's at. There's been a bit of news since last time we've spoken. It's funny uh, that we're a joint podcasters. Mine's a little bit smaller than yours, and I was like thinking exactly the same thing. I was thinking <laughs> I've got to get down on my podcast. <laughs> well, we'll do. We'll definitely do it. It's a mutual podcasters uh, appreciation society. You've been in limbo for a long time in your situation. Where are we up to with your story? It seems like quite a bit of movement is happening, and it's all heading towards November. Yeah, yeah, no, we have, and you can feel the change in that we have a a court date finally, and even though that was always likely to happen, uh, until it's set in stone, you don't really believe it. But now we have a court date, we have a judge, um, and, yeah, it's getting that ground rush, like when when you're parachuting and you suddenly, it looks a long way away and you suddenly, uh, the trees start coming Oh, thanks for using a metaphor all of us can relate to. (laughs) (laughs) What does it mean for you to kind of have that court date and, you know, for someone to go, you know what, David, we actually are going to take this to court? It is, uh, it it does make you take a sharp intake of breath, I have to say, uh, because you think, well, I've been saying along and it's true, you know, if I have to go to jail, I'll go to jail. But then you suddenly think, wow, um, after I did a quick calculation, a three-week trial starting on the 13th of November, um, that will take it into early December and there's a good chance I won't be coming out of the court. Uh, And you think of that, you think of them saying, they they won't sentence me on that day, but they will probably say, take him downstairs. And... uh, I've got two teenage kids, so you do think about that. You think about what are they going to think when Daddy gets uh, taken downstairs instead of let out. And uh, on the 13th of, um, uh, well, it would be the 4th of December or something, and uh, you uh, you never, never may see the, the light of day again. So um, that does bring things into sharp relief. And then I say, well, actually, you've always, you know, you do believe in getting change and you do believe in uh, what you're doing um, and you've got a lot of support, so have no fear of that. Uh, but, but you do, at your weaker moments, yeah, you do, because it is, that is the date and it makes you enjoy uh, uh, the days in Bondi and, and, and watching TV with your kids, etc. You think, wow, this could be the last time I sit down and watch a movie or go for a swim on a beautiful day. And, I mean, uh, 2017 was so long ago. It feels like an eon ago when, you know, the Afghanistan files came out. Does it feel like, it? for me, it, you know, seeing your story kind of unfold, it's like, well, we've had a change of government. There could have been something else. I know there was, with the new government, there was moves to try and get you this whole thing nulled. Has Richard Miles missed his opportunity to do that? Yeah, I think so. And the legal world is a relatively small world and we have 
kind of bias. In fact, anyway, we hear that even with his case, it wasn't easy to get dropped. And even though the Attorney General had said even before the election and afterwards, I'm going to drop this, this is bad, it's a disgrace, it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't come without pushback from uh, the unelected people, say. Mm. Where's your court? going to be held? Is it going to be held in the ACT? It's in the ACT. So will it be secretive? Will media be allowed to go I into think it? Given the high-profile nature of it up to this point, like it would be so strange to hold it in it's secret. It's funny, um, and again, it's good to be able to talk to you and your listeners who've got a level of sophistication because the, uh, the finer points are quite interesting. Yeah, obviously secret trials is something. It's which, something we don't have in Australia, yeah. Dave. <laughs> yes, and it rankles with them. When we throw that around, we get we get letters from the Attorney General's office. It's funny, they do actually. Right? I used to laugh when I first was starting out my YouTube and, and had about six viewers. Six of them, five of them would have been from the Attorney General's. Which <laughs> <laughs> at least put my viewing fees up. But, I'm looking forward to the Attorney General becoming a Patreon subscriber <laughs> for Rational. Yeah. I, should put, I should put some hidden content, which you have to pay a lot of money to watch <laughs> and have to pay for. But um, they say they don't like the idea of it being a secret trial and every time we say it's a secret trial, they, they send us letters saying it's not a secret trial, it's not a secret trial. <laughs> don't put that out. But the thing about it is they just say we're only going to close it if there's national security information discussed and their definition of national security is like where the, where the toilets were in Afghanistan. <laughs> so it's going to yeah, be... Where um, the toilets were in a war that we're no longer in. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's sort <laughs> in of... In a country like, now run by other people. Yeah, and it's sort of... Uh, so it is pretty funny and uh, they obviously... But it's a sore point. And so they say it's not a secret trial. It's only going to be secret in certain circumstances. Well, it's likely nothing you released was of national security. It was, <laughs> well, it was, it's, it was only to... Yeah, no, it's kind of a bit ridiculous. More national shame than anything. And, and it's not... Because it's gone on for so long... I, they probably know that I, I'm not going to fight it till the death over, you know, if they have to close the court, they have to close the court. Yeah, yeah. I'm satisfied with the um, Australian judges and that we will get a good hearing and, and um, uh, if it's a closed court, I don't think that that will affect it. But it's annoying in the sense that it's just, well, it's just annoying because it's not even the prosecutors arguing that. It's the, it's the attorney generals who are, for those who are, Watch Boston Legal or whatever. It's it normally you've got the two uh, the two the prosecutor and the defendants, but we've got a third party in the court who sit at a separate table, and they they kind of they're there to protect the information, is what they say in inverted commas. Which so means who who's that? Who's the third? It's, party? it's the attorney generals, as opposed to the Commonwealth prosecutor. Right. They are the ones that shut the court down and say, oh, like, for example, again, our spies told us when the, when the Attorney General's Department in inverted commas took exception to the evidence we wanted to call in the last hearing, apparently the actual Attorney General was surprised. Mm. He didn't know about it because they did the day before. So it, it suggests that it's actually the Department of Defence or the spooks or someone who... who who works under the umbrella of attorney generals, but are not actually lawyers. Oh, oh, right. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah. the attorney general department is actually it's it's a complete misnomer. It's like yeah, a cover. Yeah. Well, that, that ASIS is part of the attorney general's department. Right. Okay. Yep. And um, yeah. Uh, well, thankfully, um, they don't have a remit to um, uh, look at local podcasts. <laughs> so though we do serve in America, so maybe maybe. <laughs> 
Maybe your five eyes are scanning this podcast and uh, sending it back to the Attorney General. Lucky I can look out the window and I can see if we suddenly get a whole lot of black SUVs turning up. (laughs) Um, Dave, this is uh, the eastern suburbs. There's there's black SUVs every three seconds. They're the most dangerous drivers in the world. Yeah, just don't go outside Rose Bay High School. Um, (laughs) As part of these, this feels very strategic, you know, a lot of what you're doing in terms of how you're placing yourself, it feels like you and your team are playing chess against people who have never played chess before. Is it, what's the similarity to kind of fighting in the legal system to kind of strategizing in the field? Like as a... It is very similar. Yeah. It is very similar. Your chess game is exactly right um, with that, in that you make a move and you try to see what their counter move is. And that's, there's been a lot of that going on. Uh, I think that's why we have so much exposure from the Attorney Generals because I didn't make any secret of it to begin with. I mean, it would have been nice. I'm too impatient to hold straight. But I said I want to put the government on trial and even though I'm the defendant, I get the chance to call generals in, for example, um, and cross-examine them, um, and you could even call them by subpoena. This this isn't the government show. This is David McBride's show. (laughs) And I think, unfortunately, even though I was kind of like talking out my ass, I think they've taken it seriously. And that's why. <laughs> so you you basically called their bluff, and they're like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> now they're right. Now they're like, "Oh my god, it's going to put the government on trial." <laughs> so they've got all these people crawling over it because even when I subpoenaed all these uh, people, the government argued against them coming, which yeah. is which again is so counterintuitive. It's like, well, surely if they've got nothing to hide, they'd want to come in and say. Instead, the Commonwealth is calling yeah, Commonwealth, 22 witnesses, is that Yeah, right? they've got 22. And Surely uh, they don't need that many to say, yeah, David McBride took a bunch of stuff and told, told some journalists. Particularly because I've admitted that. You know. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, been, it's been well publicised. I know. So, yeah, I know. And that just, that's just out there to, you know, you've, it's ridiculous. It's sort of like, well, yeah. Oh, let me quote from the ABC article dated. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's still on the internet, a lot of it apparently, and um I, I made a detailed statement to the police because I didn't, yeah, that was like the chess game. I didn't want to have it look, them kill me with the death of a thousand cuts where they proved that I gave the documents. So but, why are they calling 22 witnesses when you've kind of, you've, you you are pleading not guilty, but you've also told yeah. the police exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I say I gave the documents, I admit that, and but I did it because I was justified. So yeah. it's really just a legal argument. They don't. They've probably only got twenty-two witnesses, probably to try to rubbish me, or in, even though it's not relevant, it may backfire on them. And because the problem is, we're bringing twenty-two witnesses in. And again, I'm giving you a free kick here, people from the Attorney Generals, <laughs> is that they can. You only need one of them to stuff up badly right. and get mauled in the cross-examination. Oh, could could I be a witness? <laughs> I might call you as a witness, <laughs> and you'll be like, um, uh, uh, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> And then we'll do our own media and say, oh, their witness was terrible. Rubbish. <laughs> He's flustered. He had no idea what he was talking about. Maybe there's an audition to become a witness in the David McBride case. <laughs> yeah. So it's strategy-wise, I mean, you don't have to talk about your strategy here because, you know, they'll be listening. But Or you can if you want. Like, well, for you, this is a kind of a strange thing where you've bluffed the government. They've come through and get the called your bluff. Are you ready to kind of put the government on trial now in this regard? Yeah, I, I think it'll, if I can call witnesses, I think uh, I think it'll be great because I'll be saying, um, 
if you didn't know about the war crimes and actively try to cover them up, why did you do this? Mm. Why did you do that? Yeah. Why did you do um, uh, X, Y, Z? And I don't think their answers are going to be very good. Uh, what they will be doing in return is, is to try to say, well, you're not allowed to call any of those witnesses. But one of the advantages we've got is that it's a criminal trial. They have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that I, I broke the law. And so if there is a doubt that I actually did the right thing, it should go in my favour. <laughs> Uh, I hold grave doubts that you've done the right thing, personally. <laughs> yeah, so it's so, yeah, all of that, the, the tactics of that is I don't mind it revealing it because of, you know, when you believe in what you believe, you know, that's that's all part of it. I've, I've got a lot of faith in the judgment of God and um, I think that we will get a good run. And as I said, it was quite hard to get my lawyers to understand it because lawyers being lawyers, they always want to take the path of least resistance and they'd want you to, you know, plead guilty somehow or plead insanity or something. Like helpful friends sometimes tell me to plead insanity and I'm like, thank you. Thank you for that. This is a problem because uh, I know many, I'm friends with many lawyers who have gotten to run businesses and they are uh, very justice-focused people who are very indignant whenever they there is an injustice in the world. <laughs> uh, they're very stubborn folks. I've had many former bosses who are, who are like that, who are former lawyers. But this is you representing yourself and, and representing something that is incredibly just in many respects. When you are talking to your legal team, do they, like, how complicated is it in the room, you know, with with kind of their, what they what they have, they perceive to be the cases and what you perceive to be the yeah, cases. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Again, this is, this is good territory. You're getting an exclusive here because we've never really, I've never really talked about this with anyone else because it's quite, it's quite esoteric. But there, it, it was edgy to begin with and I sacked a few lawyers to be, when I first started out because they were doing the old uh, car mechanic thing when you bring your car in and he opens up the boot, bonnet and he goes... <laughs> Sharp and take a breath. It's gonna be. This is gonna be expensive. <laughs> and you're like, so I had, especially being a lawyer, and you and they give you all this boilerplate about how you know how hard it's gonna be, and, and kind of imply that you've really made a made a tough for them. <laughs> and, and I'd say because I, the last thing I need is someone to bring me down and tell me it's gonna be tough. I know it's gonna be tough. Yeah. And um, yeah. To begin with, my even my own lawyers, who I love, I love dearly, and I, I. I it's a bit like, and, and you probably find this in the podcast world or whatever, you don't really need someone who agrees with you all the time. It, it's best to have some sort of yin and yang, I guess. You know, you, you the, 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 your partner is slightly, brings something. You want, a, different. You want like radical candour. You want, yeah, you know, to, yeah. someone to call you on your bullshit. Yeah, when yeah. You bullshit. And so there wasn't, I think they thought I was a bit nuts to begin with. And um, <laughs> Why uh, do they think that? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take me very seriously. Did not respect my authority. But now, um, now I think that that is it, 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 like in all good movies or whatever. That we've got a you know the good cop bad cop sort of thing. We've 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 got a bit of mutual respect now. And um, I remember uh, my bike, and it's doubly funny because my lawyer is a former media guy, Mark Davis. Right, of course. And yeah. so uh, he's he's an expert in all that kind of area. And he, he once heard me give an interview uh, on the radio and he said, he looked quite surprised. He said, you were actually pretty good at this. 
so it's um, yeah, they. Uh, I think they could. We don't always see eye to eye on everything. Uh-huh. Uh, we we had to find a barrister, and we and I was like, no, no, we, you know, I wanted a real showman who's going to go and thump the table, and you know, <laughs> I wanted this and Tom Cruise from A Few Good Men who was yeah, going to like, yeah. and they were like, no, no, no. We need someone, you know, who's who's a bit more sanguine and and is going to uh, by the law. And, and so we have a we have a few, uh, but but actually, it's nice now. Things have changed. We have a genuinely good rapport. I used to not. Every time my lawyers called me, I'd screen the calls because I <laughs> I thought they can only be like the headmaster. They've only called me to tell me take that tweet down. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> but now, now they call me usually to give me good news, even though I still, being the naughty boy I am, I still kind of screen their calls and still don't take them immediately. As we head into November, are you expecting more press to kind of uh, come with that November date? I don't know. It has improved, which is great. Uh, you know, there was a Guardian article. As soon as we got the court date, there was a Guardian article. In fact, that's how I heard about the court date was I saw <laughs> read about it in the Guardian <laughs> as I was going through my morning Twitter feed. It pays to subscribe. Oh, well, that guy, that's subscribe. a handsome man. <laughs> and it was me. Well, that's my question to you is, um, you know, this is a personal question, Dave, because, you know, you know, a few years ago you, you were packing on the pounds, but now you're really quite fit. Are you getting fit because... Either A, you're getting more pictures taken by the press, or B, you might have to go to jail. You know, like, what, what, but you know, one of the terrible things is, and, is that they often show the fat photos. <laughs> <laughs> I want to sue them. <laughs> I call them up and say, that's a very old photo. You use the fat photo. You try to have a go at me. And you're the government telling you to. To do that, but, yeah, I, I think it's a bit of both. Maybe right? this could be the first thing you say in court. Um, before we start, could I just tell you to members of the press, please use more current photos. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's kind of a it, – it's a bit of both, I guess. It, it, it fired up and I, I'm now living here in Bondi and I've got a personal trainer, and it's, uh, which is I need because I do have mental health. I, do, I don't wake up feeling good. Yeah. But once I go um, and do a hard workout and, and for those on a, you know, on a serious mental health note, it would help me to go back to the, go back to the past, you know, go back to when I used to box and when I used to train um, at uni and, and it brings back nice, apart from this sort of endorphin rush or whatever, it brings back nice memories. But yeah, no, it, it's, it's a good Good thing to kind of feel and 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 look differently. I had a, I had a drink problem. Uh, I had an amphetamine problem. I had a, um, because it, it, saying that I don't get too hard on myself because it was hard. The early days were really hard. You know, you'd come back and there is, if, and most whistleblowers say this. They say you know Jeff Morris gives advice to whistleblowers, the Commonwealth Bank whistleblower, and uh, he says. Uh, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's quite a good, all the meds or the general and he's always like, <laughs> your marriage will fail, you know, you will, <laughs> your kids won't want to speak to you, blah, blah, blah. He lists all the things that are definitely going to happen. And um, he's kind of, even though it's very harsh, it, it is, he's, he's right. And uh, to get through those first months because it's, there's a lot of psychological, it is funny how we all have, our own identities and, and it comes a bit from work and whatever. And 
The thing about being a whistleblower is you lose that. You're no longer a soldier, you're no longer, you know, a banker, and you losing your identity is hard. So as part of this fitness regime, mm. is this part of you kind of remoulding your identity or, or re- yeah. resurfacing? Yeah, that's right. I mean, again, to be honest. Controlling things you can control. Yeah, is a, is a bit of a, I guess, insider information. You know, I want to look, I want to look like a soldier when I'm going to court because that's what I still feel. I don't want, you know, people... A lot of not people judge you on your looks, but also um, I judge myself, I guess, and it's 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 a method of representing myself as best I can, I guess. Yeah, and also it's the, the, the short term benefits for my mental. I mean, I don't I don't always feel great, but I feel so much better after I go for a run. In this really stressful time for you, what? How are you finding joy at this time? I watch movies. I watch. I, I'm one of the things I do with my 17 year old is like I we go through uh, my favourite movies from, from the past, particularly ones which are you know a bit corny, like A Few Good Men, or we watch Scent of a Woman the other night, and we anything which has got some sort of uh, last of the Mohicans, and we try to find um, things with some sort of theme in it. I listened to a lot of techno back in the 90s when uh, I left the British Army. I had missed spent youth or whatever. And that kind of becomes like the soundtrack to your to your own personal movie. And uh, I've got that dog, which was annoying everybody with its noises, Jake, <laughs> who gives me, he's kind of, it's funny because he's sort of annoying. He wants to walk every hour on the hour. He's got some <laughs> sort of unionised thing. And, uh, but every time I go to bed at night and hear his little staffy snoring next to me, it uh, it makes me feel happy. So that... That is something I recommend. But the supporters really make it for me. Every time I read a message of support, and that's changed. I used to get hate mail saying, you need to be hung, you need to be killed. Yeah. Oh, those people are in jail now, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're not doing so well now. Yeah. yeah. And um, But now I get people, you know, people saying nice things. And that, um, and in fact, like uh, uh, <laughs> someone on a friendly journey, the friendly journey's uh fundraiser because they because it's on the friendly joy I guess their comments are more candid because they're sure. not talking to you yeah and and someone said oh it's got a joy you can uh you could you know cut your bread on or something and then someone else said yeah he's too good looking to go to jail and someone's <laughs> like he's a dilf <laughs> Someone said it to me, and I said it to my kids. I said, "Look, I'm a dill," and they were like, "Oh my god, Dad, shut up! Can't believe you're sending this to us." <laughs> and we had another funny thing because the kids were in boarding school, and they, um, you know, there's a vaping <laughs> vaping crisis. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my youngest one is, is typically she's like me; she doesn't vape, but she hangs around with the vapors. <laughs> yeah. And they did locker searches. They oh, did. They did a, like right. a random locker search, and uh, she, she, her locker got searched. There was a there was a vape wrapper or something in there, and and so we got a family group chat with my ex wife and the two kids, and she was like, oh, "I got busted today in a locker search, but they didn't have a warrant." <laughs> <laughs> and my wife said, "The brides are not scared of searches. Just say nothing." <laughs> So we do have a bit of humour about it. Yeah, so it's, no, they're, they're funny. Yeah, nothing. Oh. Oh. Um, David, before you go, can I get? Can you just um, do one minute of laughing for me? <laughs> Use that one up. 
you've got such a great laugh. Um, so we'll just go one minute of David McBride laughing and this we'll sell this on our website. <laughs> No, it would be pretty good, wouldn't it? <laughs> and uh, people, my kids say that. My kids say, oh, all our friends love your laugh. They hear you when you come to the school. They hear you 100 metres away. They hear you laughing. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be embarrassed by it, but now they don't think it's good. Just for people listening, just, and just I'll press you on it. It's a genuine laugh, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I'm laughing at myself most of the time, <laughs> laughing at the stupid shit I do. And uh, in my situation and my children are always laughing at me. They're going, oh, Dad, I can't believe you posted <laughs> I can't believe you posted that. I tried to get them to, one of them to come down and watch listen to watch you do podcasts. I said this would be, <laughs> this would be good for your media career. Yeah, right, right. Being a real-life media. Media come, comedian. Come sit in my bedroom and watch me, watch me talk to your dad. <laughs> that's, it was like, oh, Dad, I'm sorry, I think I might be otherwise engaged. <laughs> no, that's fine. I think it's like watching watching someone wash their hair. But, well, Dave, thank you so much for keeping us in touch with your story and I hope people follow it as, uh, as November gets closer. Is there something folks can do to kind of keep abreast of everything uh, or support you in any meaningful way? I've got a YouTube channel. Um, I'd love people to watch that. And uh, David McBride Trial, I think it's called, Major David McBride. I'm, I'm climbing up the list of uh, search engines, <laughs> climbing up over the bloody actor. And I've got a GoFundMe uh, as well, um, you know, which is something like help Major David McBride with his fight for justice. I'm very great. I've had a lot of support and I can't say, this is one of the things, one of the, the silver linings on this is that you you get Messages which I get quite emotional. I've, I actually find it quite hard to read all the beautiful messages I get saying, we're behind you, you're a hero, blah, 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 in a weird way. Um, it's hard for me to read it. This sounds like a Tinder date, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't do very well on Tinder. But, um, uh, but that is, you know, that is really, very really nice. Uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of great support. A lot of really good people in Australia, and most of, most of it has actually come from the independent media, from people like yourself, friendly Geordies. A lot of young people. You know, it's interesting to see that there's a bit of a uh, a divide in Australia now. There's people that watch mainstream news, and there's and a lot of young people who just only do podcasts and and things like that, and that's how they get their information. Mm. And that's if someone young comes up, and sometimes people, like at that cafe where we see each other, someone came up last week and said, oh, you know, good on you, and if there's a, he was a filmmaker, can I make a film for you? Uh, and that was through Friendly Joys, you know, that, um, you know, which is fantastic that people uh, watch that stuff and take it seriously and, um, and, that, and see you and say hello. So anybody... Um, any any message of support is 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 fantastic. It really gives you. You think oh, I can. You get some wonderful message. You think I can go to jail. I can go to jail when, with with that kind of support. Uh, you can you can do anything. Great. Thanks, David. Thank you. Your fear is rational. Oh, hello everyone. Hey. Oh, a round of applause. We haven't even done anything. This is fantastic. What a joy. What a joy. We're recording a live podcast of our show, so you are an integral part of the show, so it's important to clap and cheer and laugh at all the jokes, no matter the quality of the jokes. Yeah. That's right. Yes, like that man. <laughs> Move that person to the front. Yeah, well, we've got a seat down here for you, wooer. <laughs> 
Uh, particularly at the top, uh, at the very start of the show, Dan yep. likes to start the show with three big jokes. Yeah, three and terrible jokes. Very, very in quality, historically. Yeah, they, um, and they are wafty tonight. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. are terrible. Yeah. So really, for his sake, I beg of you, <laughs> clap and cheer. Just pretend they're really good. It, it's, it's a format point of the show. We, yeah, we yeah, want to yeah. be as close to the weekly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's going to be a really fun show. Uh, this is an incredible house. And let's firstly just give it a huge round of applause for yeah. CarriageWorks and Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Yeah, thanks for having us here. Place. I'm Dan. And I'm Lewis. Yeah. yeah. And we'll introduce these folks in a second. Let's yeah. do it. All right, great. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Yorra Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, or Fair Dickum. And Section 44, a rational fear, recommends listening by immature audiences. Leaked documents show that top defence officials were kept in the dark about submarine contracts. When asked about it, Scott Morrison said he wouldn't talk about ongoing underwater matters. (laughs) And in order to increase transparency, Anthony Albanese ordered all government ministers to leave their dream journals unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) And... Governor-General David Hurley becomes a Patreon supporter of Irrational Fear. No no jokes. Uh, He is the best Governor-General ever. (laughs) Viva la (laughs) Governor-General! It's the 17th of September, 2022. And if you're listening to this, it means I'm in a secret prison in Tuggeranong. This is Irrational Fear! Welcome to Rational Fear. I'm your host, former sovereign Dan Illich, and this is the show live at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. This is the podcast where we make fun of the toughest topics because, you know, if we don't, we'd cry. Let's meet our fear mongers for tonight. She's been uncovering lies in Sydney for over 25 years. Tonight, we'll ask her for her tips about how to lie to her face. It's the host of Liar Liar, Kate McClarmont. Now, Kate, it's not what we're talking about tonight, but everyone in this room wants to know, did the husband do it? Oh, you haven't left me with a foot to stand on. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be fooled by this man's accent. He's so Australian, he makes the rest of us look like immigrants. From the New York Times, it's Damien Cave. (laughs) Damien, when it comes to learning about Australia, is there something you haven't quite mastered yet? You know, I just discovered what it means to have a smoko. A smoko. Uh, (laughs) Very good. Still learning. (laughs) And she's covered everything this year from Canberra to Kiev. Tonight will be her toughest assignment yet. Please give it up for Amber Schultz. (laughs) Amber, as a crikey journalist, who is more transparent, Russia or Australia? Depends what the metrics. Transparent about body composition, that's Putin. (laughs) Transparent about ability to succumb to peer pressure, that's Elbow. (laughs) And he's the former Australian defence lawyer turned whistleblower, now professional panel guest, is David McBride. David, is there anything funny about being the enemy of the state? (laughs) Well, it certainly makes your dating life. I look better. <laughs> if you say, oh, oh, I'm a lawyer, they're like, oh, I think that's my boyfriend over there. <laughs> if you say I'm facing unlimited time in jail, they're like, ooh. 
<laughs> you must be dangerous. <laughs> really, are. up for a one-night stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very dangerous. And he's a government employee who's seen too much and he's come here tonight to say enough is enough. It's Lewis Hobber. Hello. Sure. <laughs> Lewis, um, what secrets will you be revealing tonight? What secrets? <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh. I'm going to tell you, I can't, what can I tell you? Who's going to win the Hottest 100 next year? I don't know. <laughs> Looks and he's like on the, the audience here would probably really care about that. <laughs> All these people are ageing into the demographic now. <laughs> and he's on the Pots and Pests tonight. It's Dylan Bain for the News Fighters podcast. Well, this is great. Well, what a stellar lineup. We have got more influence and power on this panel than inside Scott Morrison's head. It's very exciting. You know, I don't blame him for signing up for more than one job. There's, uh, there's of course, a labour crisis going on. It's very hard <laughs> to find good help. We'll have more on the Morrison Ministries a little later on. Um, in fact, we'll hear from all of our fearmongers in just a second. But first, I'm going to do a bit of a deep dive to set the context for tonight's performances. I'm here to tell a story. There's an island in the Pacific that is on the verge of autocracy. Its leaders have acquired a huge amount of power over its citizens. They raid journalists for reporting on crimes the state has committed. They lock up whistleblowers for calling out corruption. If doctors and teachers talk about their jobs on social media, they could go to jail. And they ban reporting on certain modes of transport. Um, so where the bloody hell are you? Well, if you answer that question out loud, you could go to jail, but I say it because, you know, I'm brave, uh, I'm not a coward. It's New Zealand and we need to keep an eye on them. <laughs> no, it's us, it's Australia. Prior to the National Security Information Act of 2004, the top three Australian secrets were the Vegemite recipe, the Australia 2 winged keel, and Harold Holt's post-prime ministerial career as a taxi driver in Bundaberg. <laughs> no one ever talks about it. Um, <coughs> That's it, that's all the secrets we had in Australia, pre-2004. There was, of course, a pine gap, but that's more of an American secret. Yeah, that's our secret. Yeah, uh, and the only person that can lose their job if they talk about it is the Prime Minister. Everything else, yes. Oh, big golf yeah. fan over here. Yeah. Everything else is on the table until 9-11, which was, or in Australia's case, our 9-11 was the Tampa crisis. And that's when the National Information Security Act came in, and then the Shilby, Wright, no wuckin furries version of Australia was locked away in John Howard's basement, never to be seen again. Instead, we have a bunch of legislation that makes transparency harder than ever. The National Information Security Act is one thing, oh, is, is the big one, okay. Anything deemed by the government that is of a national security risk can't be reported on or it can't even go to court, and if it does go to court, you'll never hear about it, like the case of Witness J, discovered in 2019, a person who was secretly jailed in the ACT. We don't know their name, we don't know their crime, their sentence, or what they were sentenced for. The only thing we do know is what they might look like, thanks to a court sketch from the secret trial. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look around you, it could be, could be any one of us. And how we know they exist in the first place was that they actually were writing a memoir in jail and the AFP went and raided their cell and they were so pissed off that the AFP raided their cell to take their memoir away, they took the ACT government to court to complain about it and then we only find out about it because a Judge Burns read it out in court and everyone's like, hang on, what the fuck, where'd this secret guy come from? <laughs> um, then there was Witness K, a secret trial against a whistleblower who revealed 
that Australian secret agents bugged East Timor Prime Minister's office when we were negotiating a gas deal. That was in 2004. That deal got torn up, went to The Hague, it was a a whole deal, and they got renegotiated again. And then it wasn't until 2014, Witness K went to trial in secret in Australia a decade later. Now, this should be concerning because we don't know how many secret cases there are like this. There could be thousands. I'm not an expert, but I think we should definitely investigate witnesses A through I. Um, (laughs) Now, that's one part, secret trials, right? A couple of other things we should be thinking about is this misnamed Freedom of Information Act because it's not free and you don't get any information. Journalists or anyone who's interested can actually request documents from the government, uh, but it costs us shitloads of money, and if you're a journalist, it can take forever, and it can go past your deadline, and they're pretty much useless when it comes back. When news organisations have the resources and time to challenge the government, it's a whole process. You've got to go through the Information Commission, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, and then the Federal Court, and that process can take up to three fucking years to do, in which case, in our hypothetical, that journalist would have been laid off by several news (laughs) organisations. But on the upside, is now working inside the Prime Minister and Cabinet, so they can look at all the documents they want. (laughs) And then there's this. This is the National Cabinet, a regular meeting of Premiers and First Ministers and the Prime Minister. It was created during COVID to talk about what? COVID, presumably? We actually don't know because it's secret. (laughs) South Australia might want to change the size of their rail gauge again and ruin the dreams of boomers to cross the country in the Indian Pacific. We don't know! We need to know! Can we just have a minute's silence for that joke? Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was really excited for that one. (laughs) It used to be called COAG. I don't know if anyone remembers this, the Commonwealth Heads of Government, but it was changed for two reasons. First of all, it sounded like a brand of glue. Um, (laughs) And then Scott Morrison renamed it the National Cabinet so he could basically claim that all the meetings were cabinet in confidence, like the real Commonwealth Cabinet. But it's not. It's just made up. Morrison just fucking made it up. So now he's a cabinet maker as well. Another job. That's it. He's a cabinet maker. Uh, That was good. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, sir. You're allowed to laugh. You don't have to say that was good, but I'll take whatever. (laughs) There are heroes on this island like the Auditor General, whose great work includes sifting through tonnes of Excel spreadsheets to find any anomalies, exposed waste and conflicts of interest. Here's what the Auditor General has done in the last little bit. You may remember the Leppington Triangle, sports shorts and car park rorts, yeah? Pretty good. What an incredible group of public service heroes. Give them a round of applause. (laughs) Pretty amazing work. And what was their reward? Well, the Morrison government defunded the department by $14 million. meaning that the Australian National Audit Office can now only complete 38 audits a year. 38, that's not many. I think um, Angus Taylor has more offshore bank accounts than that. So, um, yeah. I don't know if you've picked up a trend here, but these secrecy laws have been around a while, but it seems like they've only been used in the last 10 years or so. Um, Who could have uh, gotten into power 10 years or so? (laughs) Is there anyone who got their very first public ministry 10 years or so? One prominent senior counsel, Geoffrey Watson, points the day that transparency uh, died in Australia. Here's the exact date. Transparency died on Friday, the 8th of November, 2013. It happened at a media briefing called then by the Immigration Minister, Scott Morrison. You may remember it. The overnight incident. Uh, What's become of that vote of asylum seekers? I will not comment further in relation to onboarder matters. 
Thank you. General, this is of great public interest. I will not comment further in relation to on-water matters. Have they been... Uh, I will not comment further in relation to on-water matters. I think we've dealt with that question. But in terms of making a judgment, if those um, asylum seekers do come to Australia, doesn't that mean that your turn-back-to-both policy um, is kind of... Well, you've made a whole bunch of presumptions there which I'm not about to speculate. Well, maybe you can clear them up for us. Well, you're the one making the presumptions, not me. <laughs> is it the case that the overnight uh, incident is not resolved and that's why more information is not forthcoming? It's an ongoing operational matter and the persons that were at risk have all been accounted for. We're not going to go into the micro detail of these well, operational micro matters. What, I, what we are saying is that we rendered assistance yeah, and, all the people, and all the people have been accounted for. Can so we can, we can go around this for, for a lot longer, but that is the position. It's scary watching it now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wild, Ab absolutely wild. You all remember that? You notice Angus Campbell uh, before he became the Chief of the Defence? Straight or? after this, yeah. yeah like yeah. A, a year later, he was the Chief he of the Defence. Talent, talent spotter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if you remember, do you all remember that phrase? I will not comment in relation to on water matters. Man, it was on repeat at every press conference for like six months until the press got bored and stopped going to those press conferences. It was even number five on the hottest 100 of that year, <laughs> and, uh, uh, which was amazing. Also, it was on afternoon game shows as well. Well, the final question worth $7,000. Scott, here you go. Take a look at this picture. What's the well-known catchphrase? It's an ongoing operational matter. Oh, <laughs> wrong so close. Hey, I bet the audience knows what it was. I will not comment in relation to on what happened. <laughs> yeah, sadly, Scott, you miss out on the $7,000, which isn't enough to buy you a journalist visa to Papua New Guinea anyway. Good night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hard to believe they didn't get a Logie, uh, that one. Yeah. Like that, that joke relies so heavily on people remembering Burjo's catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of showing the press conference, they should have shown Burjo's catchphrase. Yeah. Um, as Geoffrey Watts and SC put it, there was a hint in those words that it might have something to do with national security, but that was never the case. There was no evidence was ever produced. Once the government got away with it, once they got a taste for it, and that kind of secrecy is alluring and has an addictive quality. As Watson put it to me by phone, just like in sports, once one side of the game starts cheating and gets away with it, both sides start cheating. And we're already seeing Labor hinting that they'll continue on with National Cabinet in secret. So this is where we are on this island today. Laws designed to protect its citizens, instead used to protect the fragile egos of megalomaniacs we elect. Yeah. And it seems today everything on this island is secret for no good reason. As Damien Cave put it in a great 2019 article titled Australia Might Be the World's Most Secretive Democracy, this is what he wrote. The most recent expansion of government secrecy came last year with an espionage bill that increased criminal penalties for sharing information deemed classified, even if a document happened to be as harmless as a cafeteria menu. So the other day I tested it out. I reached out to Aussie's Cafe um, in the middle of Parliament House. You need a pass to get into it. Uh, all the politicians and lobbyists go there. And I sent them a text and asked them to send me a photo of the menu, and they sent it through. Oh, fantastic. And don't worry, uh, the sources were redacted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and in case you're wondering there, uh, the soup of the day is chicken. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
apparently it's not a problem for me to text. That's good. They were very, <laughs> they were very happy. So there we go. Everyone at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, please give it up for Damien Cage. Thank you. you. Um, thank you, Dan. Quite an impressive menu. <laughs> um, you know, thanks, Dan. When I, when I wrote that article, actually, you know, people thought I was crazy calling Australia this extremely secretive democracy. But now that we have a prime minister with lots of secret jobs, maybe <laughs> it's not so crazy and maybe it's not just the crazy American who's, who's saying it. Um, you know, since I wrote that story, there have been many more examples, lots of which you went, went into. But, you know, I think it's important to recognize that it's not just Canberra that this problem exists in. And, you know, I run into it all over the country when I'm dealing with people as a reporter. And I have a small story, a small example that will show you just how much it handles some of the most important issues at the local level, like, can we get this image perhaps? The giant banana, the giant <laughs> He-Man banana. Um, let me back up for a minute. So we have a newsletter that the New York Times publishes every week called the Australia Letter, which is basically a reporter riffing about the news of the week with a little bit of perspective. And so one week, Besher Rodell, who's a wonderful writer for us in Melbourne, said, you know, I want to write about this public art thing. It involves bananas and frogs and, and babies. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Um, but I figured, yeah, for sure, go for it. So shockingly, after it runs, I get this email from somebody that says the subject line is immediate removal of article. And I'm wondering what on earth this is about, right? So I look in and I see that it's about the newsletter, which makes me go back and try to understand what this giant banana He-Man thing is all about. <laughs> and it turns out that there was an exchange being offered between you know, a local council in Melbourne and John Oliver, the comedian, who John basically wanted to take this lovely piece of art off the hands of Melbourne and trade uh, and give them basically some frogs with some legs that were open a little bit wider than is appropriate. Um, and along with that, he also had some babies that had been washed up on the shore in Texas, um, beautiful babies like this. And so he offered to trade these wonderful pieces of art for the He-Man banana. Besha was in favor of this plan. She loved the frogs, I think. So as you can see, this was a serious job of public interest journalism in Australia's greatest interests, which is why I was really surprised when I got an email, and concerned, I should say, and the subject line was immediate removal of article. I mean, that's a pretty big request. We don't take down articles from the New York Times. Sometimes we attach a correction, maybe an editor's note, but take it down. I literally can't think of a, a single time that that's happened. And I worry that there must be some serious flaw in what Besha had written. But no, it turns out that the person in local government had an email exchange with her about whether the dolls could go into the recycling machine. And she was quoted as saying, and this is the exact quote, I don't know what the dolls are made of, so I can't officially comment either way. She wrote that in the email, that her name was attached and that it wasn't supposed to be because she, she did not consent to it and was not an authorized spokesperson for the council. This is council policy, she said. So at this point, I, I feel kind of bad, and I'm wondering, like, maybe this is just the person who happened to be in the office that day. So I go out and I look on LinkedIn, and I discover that her actual title is Senior Advisor for Media and Communications. We had a bit more back and forth by email, and she said that she was, when she was quoted, it was always without a name. Now, at no point in this exchange with Besha did she request anonymity, not that we would have granted it. But the whole thing started to feel pretty ridiculous to me. I mean, here's a person who was being paid with tax dollars to give the media information, demanding an article be spiked because she kind of did her job with a weird nothing burger of a comment about scary, rubbery baby dolls. Like, really? This is how far down the rabbit hole Australian secrecy's gone? But the thing is, I'd been around, and I, I could also see that this really wasn't just her fault, right? This was bigger than her. 
This council did have a secrecy policy for almost everything and everyone, just like Australia has a secrecy default for far too many things. As Dan mentioned, it's a habit. It gets addictive. She was just following the written and unwritten rules for the world's most secretive democracy. And I was pretty sure she didn't even see the context that way. So I tried to write back to her politely, and this is what I wrote. The problem here, it seems to me, is the Australian practice of withholding names. In general, if you work for a public entity in a democracy, anonymity is not assumed. You work for the public at taxpayer expense. And so in the future, if you don't want to be named, please make that clear in your exchange with New York Times reporters and we can respond accordingly. She wrote me back and said, thank you. This has been a huge lesson for me in terms of dealing with reporters. Now, again, <laughs> this is her job. So she was, she was the senior, senior media advisor. Yes, exactly. Now, I wish that this was the only absurd example of Australia's secrecy default in the years since I wrote that article, but it's not. There was also the time when I filed a public records request for some insight in what kinds of things the Foreign Investment Review Board was rejecting. I started out asking for companies and industries and the countries involved for every decision. I wanted to basically know what kinds of things are being rejected from China in particular and what are not. They said no to that. So then I just asked for numbers, bland statistics for which countries had applied and been rejected. I asked for ratios of accepted investments, anything that would give me any insight into what this very important government body was doing. And they said no to all of it. They just assumed it was a national security threat, whether or not China bought a dairy farm or not. More recently, and I'll end with this, I ran into a senior Australian diplomat at an event who told me a handful of mildly insightful things about Australian foreign policy. At the end of our little chat, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, you can't quote or refer to anything I told you. <laughs> I told him not to worry that I'd been talking to a lot of Western officials from the US, the UK, a whole bunch of things on this story I was working on. So the most that I could imagine doing was combining what he said with others and referring it to something like Western officials. And his eyes went, grew wide with fear. No, I've gotten in trouble for that. I've gotten in trouble for that too, he said. You can't do that. You just can't. And again, none of what he told me amounted to state secrets. But he was completely stressed. It was like he feared being jailed or fired or killed for saying very, very little. And that's really the problem here. The culture of secrecy has become so dominant in Australia that it muzzles voices and censors people who are responsible for this democracy. Instead of recognizing that their roles include an obligation to the public to explain why they are, what they are doing is good for the country, they be behave as if telling the media and the public anything is a violation of ethics. And they are disciplined with that priority in mind. Stay silent, keep information private, or else. Don't make any mistake, this is an authoritarian instinct. I've seen it in dictatorships around the world, and it's toxic and contagious. It's an attitude that strikes fear into everyone and anyone who has an urge to share important information that we deserve to know. One more thing. Though some figures in Australian life, perhaps that former prime minister, perhaps <laughs> another member who we've tussled with, I think, in the media quite a bit, named Peter Dutton, have a far worse <laughs> reputation on secrecy than others. But it is not a partisan problem. It's a political problem and a power problem and a habit problem. Even after Scott Morrison took on all those extra jobs, you did not see the Albanese government immediately promise to tackle the problem of secrecy all over government. And it's not clear if the prime minister ever will get around to dealing with it. This is the case even though countless studies show that secrecy undermines trust in democracy and creates the conditions for corruption and mismanagement. Australians really deserve better. My hope is that someday we get to a place where every official can speak freely, including those who have something to say about a gross baby doll washing up on shore <laughs> or a banana he-man public art project in Melbourne. Thank you. I've got a story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to jump in because what you said rang true, and I'm and I going to forget it later, but the, they had a thing in the Defence Force about pri the Privacy Act. 
I don't think people understood it. The idea, obviously, you don't want people finding out about you know, your sexual preference or, or whatever through some sort of a leak. But they took it very seriously and we were in, in dropping bombs on people in the Middle East. I, I kid you not, uh, there was like a senior defence lawyer who was sort of like targeting this terrorist and just said to say a hellfire missile. They were like, I'm not sure, we may be breaching their privacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And they were like, you know, can I watch the whole action? And I'm like, I don't yeah. think that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Damien, does anything else um, kind of, you've been here five years, does anything else surprise you at all now due to kind of around secrecy in Australian government? You know, I think I'm constantly surprised by moments like the one I just described, where it's it's so deeply ingrained in the culture that the default setting is to just not attach a name or under, an understanding of accountability at the low, low level. So that's the first thing. It's just throughout the culture. And then the second thing is, though, that I, I'm so pleasantly surprised when people actually trust me and do help me. Like, there was one time I was in, like, this small town in South Australia doing a story about, um, I think there was a, it was a, a memorial to, to a massacre against the local Aboriginal people. And somebody in government, this was a very, really big controversial conflict in this small town, but someone quietly at some point handed me the small blue book and he said, this is the phone numbers for everyone in this town. <laughs> you can call whoever you want. Don't tell anyone I gave it to you. And I don't know why he trusted me with that, but, I, I'm, but I'm so grateful to those people who, who, you know, feel that they've taken a chance on me as a journalist. And, I'm, I'm, and that surprises me because it's so rare, unfortunately. Yeah, great. And what was the diplomat, what was he saying to you? Was he saying stuff like, you know, we, we sell a lot of sheep in Australia? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. You know, he was, like, talking about, like, other leaders and, like, things that were totally part of the public record. Like, mm. I think he, maybe he thought he was saying these brilliant things, but I'd heard all of it before. <laughs> Do you know how much that has trickled down to normal conversations where I'll have dinner with a friend and they're just talking about their average Wednesday and they'll stop themselves and they'll be like, this is off the record. <laughs> yeah. Why would I report that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That sense of self-importance, too, I guess, is part of the secrecy yeah. thing. It's yeah, like, sure. whatever I'm doing... It, it, I think it helps people sort of feel important, to feel as though the menu for a restaurant might be secret. <laughs> All right, great. Well, I'm looking forward to the next secret spilled by Amber Schultz. <laughs> Last week, I went to this really glamorous event called the Midwinter Ball. So for those of you that don't know, it's in Parliament and it's an opportunity for journalists to cosplay as stage three <laughs> tax cut recipients. And, <laughs> We all go, and the whole point of the event is to suck up to politicians and staffers and lobbyists. But what's weird is the entire thing, as soon as you step through those doors, the entire event is off the record. It's all secret. Which, why you would have an event, invite journalists and keep it off the record, bewilders me. Mm. It's not an ASIO meeting. It's not an AUKUS meeting, because if it was, Scott Morrison would have leaked the test messages by now. <laughs> and it's not, despite what Senator Sarah Hanson-Young seemed to think, a Met Gala event. <laughs> it's the parliamentary ball... Uh, you know, Australia is addicted to secrecy. We've got Witness K, Witness J, Lawyer X. You know, it sounds like a Wiggles song. We've got <laughs> Scott Morrison's ministerial appointments, uh, whistleblowers are silent, secret midwinter ball speeches. It's absolutely absurd. Freedom of information requests in Australia across the past decade uh, have been rejected 50% year on year. Uh, those that are accepted, which is rare, but those that are accepted return pages upon pages of redacted information. So you just get a wall of black, and it makes trying to figure out what the hell is going on about as difficult as reading a George R. R. Martin novel. <laughs> <laughs> 
But while the government doesn't want to share any information with the public, it turns out the public is really, really happy to share information with the government. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are a nation of dobbers. We love snitching. <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. And we didn't start like this. You know, Australia is, you know, our colonial history is a nation of convicts. And obviously the convicts aren't snitching because the ones that snitched got to stay in England. <laughs> <laughs> Our snitching culture is the result of some really, really successful marketing campaigns. So the government really does want whistleblowers. It really wants people to come forward with information, provided you're coming forward with information about Jan three doors down. <laughs> so the first marketing campaign was Crime Stoppers. That started in the 80s, and that's been really successful. There's like 350,000 tip-offs per year, and about half of those actually result in a police report, which is hugely successful. And then, of course, 9-11 happened and the government decided we need a national security hotline. We need something more tailored to terrorism. Uh, and conveniently, a lot of these national security hotline campaigns were released during elections because nothing else buys a vote like fear. So we had the, uh, if you see something, say something. We had be alert, not alarmed. And we had, if it doesn't add up, speak up. We moved from loose lips, sink ships, to <laughs> spy on your neighbour. It's normal behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, a, a lot of these national security tips obviously are steeped in racism and prejudice. So, Australia, we, we are trying to be better. We are trying to be, you know, less divisive, more inclusive. So, COVID presented a really fantastic opportunity of that because it meant we could dob on our neighbours regardless of race or background or socioeconomic class. It's progress, really. <laughs> There was one example, so there were so many people calling the police on one another, often for really, really trivial things. Uh, one example was a woman, she's sitting home and she sees a photo, uh, scrolling through her photos and she sees one where she looks absolutely shredded in her bikini from a holiday a year ago. She, <laughs> she decides to post it on Facebook and suddenly the police are at her door. One of her Facebook friends saw that photo, thought it was current and called the police on her. Oh, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how much we love snitching, you know? And you, you're worried about Zuckerberg spying on you. It's not Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> it's your old high school friend from 20 years ago. <laughs> you know, we love snitching. We have a dobbing hotline for almost everything. We have Dobbin a dealer. Uh, that was launched in 2016, and Dobbin Adila has actually seen, since the campaign launched, uh, the number of people calling up about dealers double. It's been really successful. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, a tip-off about AFL-style Wayne Carey's dealer um, <laughs> turned up nothing but crushed-up bags of ibuprofen. So, you know, it's a real hit and miss. Uh, we've got the Job Seeker Dobbin hotline, which was... <laughs> You know, cruelly called. It's not funny. <laughs> Scott Morrison was ringing constantly. Yeah, it was just him. <laughs> uh, which was cruelly called uh, Dobbin a doll bludger. Now, that wasn't actually as successful because people didn't, you know, didn't really like the idea of dobbing in someone on the doll. Uh, but the people that did complain was small to medium businesses who said people that had applied for their jobs had lied on their CV, which is really funny because it just means the public is looking to John Barillaro and taking a bit of advice. <laughs> <laughs> we also, we used to, we don't anymore, but we used to even have a hotline to dob in mislabeled seafood. That's how much we love dobbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there was a specific one for mislabeled seafood. Wow, sounds like a micro detail. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Crab sticks. Yeah. <laughs> 
So tip-offs and dob-ins are a dime a dozen. I mean, in this economy, who knows, but really a dime a dozen. So while you can't know what subpar jokes Albanese staffer wrote for him at the Midwinter Bull speech, he can know about that job interview you didn't show up for, you know, he can know about that crushed-up bag of ibuprofen you bought, or he can know about that weird photo you posted on Facebook. So while the government, you know, wants information from you, it only wants really, really trivial information. You know, try snitching about something of importance, and you know the saying, snitches get... Stitches. <laughs> Closed-door prosecutions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, thank you, man. Amber, correct. Amber, um, you know, it costs money to do FOI stuff, um, but what's the most you've ever cost crikey? in your career as a journalist? <laughs> um, I probably set a record for the fastest lawsuit from a new hire because I hit three days and immediately got a, uh, <laughs> right. a concerns notice. So, you know, I don't know if you know this, but Crikey has a very long, rich history of being sued for defamation. So I was proud to join that on day three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting, like you're talking about midwinter ball there, and the inverse, the immediate comparison is the White House press correspondence di right. dinner in DC, yeah, and which is like public. broadcast, celebrity, Everyone wants to go to it. And it's like, and if you're a leader and you're at that event, you are going to get roasted. And if you, if you fuck up on stage, you're going to eat it in front of everyone. It's like that is like the absolute icon of like, that when you look at both countries, Australia and, and America, that's like transparency back to back. It's yeah, incredible. anytime you're looking at America with respect and thinking uh -oh. like that, they're more relaxed than us. Like <laughs> we need to have a... Good hard look at ourselves. It's yeah. like secret um, dinners for the whatever, for the president, and weed laws. They're like, what are we doing here? Yeah. But it's weird, those, because um, we, there's a, not a ball, but there's an annual invite for ABC employees. Like, the, um, a bunch of ABC employees get basically instructed to go down to Parliament House and kiss the ring. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a suck up tour, isn't it? Well, yeah. 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 And so one. No, I, well, one year I was told to go down, and uh, as you know, the, the face of youth as I was back then, and um, and it's so weird because obviously all politicians hate young people, so they were just like, get the fuck out of here. But then they, um, everyone was around, like all of the ABC celebs were out there trying to like impress, you know, someone who would give us money, and they didn't give a shit until. B1 and B2 came out. <laughs> and those politicians went fucking bananas, literally. Like, they were all grabbing photos. Like, they were so excited. We're just like, well, I just went and got drunk with Costa. <laughs> those, those politicians weren't obviously from Fitzroy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Amber, when you're around Parliament House lately, can you tell if there's, like, a tone change since the new government has come in? Like, is there, is there a different feeling around the press gallery? There is, I mean, slightly. We've got the little, uh, like little postcards that have the 1-800 Parliamentary Support Services number on it. But that, they're everywhere. But aside from that, the only difference is people constantly, if anyone like, gets too close or accidentally brushes past someone, someone will yell, Jenkins! And that's, <laughs> that's about the only difference. <laughs> that's great. It's easy to make fun of the press gallery for kind of hypocrisy. They're under pressure from the government. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see over the last couple of years how news reports have changed, particularly under the Morrison government. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, here's a clip from Channel 10 News. Here are the headlines approved by the Department of Communications on 10. 
The Royal Commission into how good is Australia has found that Australia is very good and gooder than many estimates predicted. The Department of Fair Go agrees with the findings saying that Aussies are getting fairer goes and more goes than ever before. And Australia's most prestigious honour, the Order of Australia, is having a makeover with a brand new category added to the list. So move over, OAMs and AMs, there's a new medal on the podium, it's the QA, which will be awarded to the most quiet Australian. Now that's someone <laughs> who excels at showing complete disinterest in the affairs of government and goes about their day unquestioning the world around them. Nominations are now open, so good luck to everyone. And in sport, Australia's cricket team are the best and they will win the Ashes if any of the current 11 want to see their loved ones again. Turning to the weather, despite what it looks like out of the window, it is fine and definitely average temperatures for this time of year. <laughs> Certainly not way hotter than usual. That is, of course, all the approved news for now in the greatest country in the world. And remember, it's un Australian to not have private health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so I did have someone ring up to give me some very highly confidential information and they'd gone to the trouble of buying a voice distorter. And it did sound like a crazed robot, but the information was absolutely fabulous. And I said at the end of the conversation, thank you so much and now I can get you on this number because they'd forgotten. <laughs> Although they had bought a voice distorter, their number still came up. So don't buy a voice distorter. And two, if you want to remain secret, please use Australia Post, snail mail. It's still the best way to send things. However, if you are one of the Abid family and you are sending me death threats, please wear gloves because your fingerprints were on the envelope and on the inside, so gloves if you really don't want to be caught. <laughs> and one other thing I'd like to uh, advise Eddie Obede was that in the past, 
when I rang his office to get some questions, he forgot to hang up. <laughs> so <laughs> he left the phone on and I listened for 20 minutes as they discussed how they were going to lie to me, what they were going to say. And in the end, I had to call in on the office phone and I said, look, Eddie, it's been so lovely hearing you talk about me. It's been so lovely hearing your plans. However, I really need a comment. And I just heard them go, oh, fuck. (laughs) And they hung up. Another thing is that When a major crime figure has died, don't go behind the crypt at the funeral to discuss where the money is. (laughs) This happened at Lenny McPherson's funeral and I'd already been threatened, so I thought I would hide behind the crypt. (laughs) But on the other side of the crypt was Lenny McPherson's solicitor who was chatting away about where the money was hidden, (laughs) what companies they had, So that was very handy. Um, And um, having said those things, I do want to just take one moment to say that I am also an idiot when it comes to, uh, you know, giving my own things away. Lewis reminded me today that I accidentally sent a pin with my location on it to the head of the Hells Angels. <laughs> Kate McClymont is here. <laughs> Pen. Not so good. Then I sent a photo of my ear. How would you take a photo of your ear and send it? <laughs> but I sent that to one of my colleagues who thought I, somebody had cut it off and I was... <laughs> <laughs> and then the last thing I did was that I did have my phone in my pocket and I sent a whole lot of gibberish to Twitter and people contacted me saying, should they call the police? Had I, be kidna- had I been kidnapped and was this a secret cry for help? <laughs> so I would just like to say that um, I too, like many of the criminals I cover, am an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Do you ever feel, uh, honestly, feel like your life is in danger? Um, oh, look, I, I always take that uh, one of my contacts who was a detective said to me, um, Kate, don't worry about the ones that threaten you. It's the ones that don't. And I did get a death threat, death threat delivered to my house and it did have 303 on it. And I said to my husband, um, what, that's actually our address, 303. And he said, it's a rifle, you idiot! <laughs> so, and it doesn't help when you don't actually understand that you are getting a death threat to your own house. Oh, so if we were to send a death threat to you, what's the best kind of form of that? <laughs> snail mail. I, snail mail, <laughs> snail mail, with the, with the fingerprints. And what is, like, the best way to actually stay secret from you, rather than, you know, all the mistakes? But, like, how does someone, how does someone Look, truly avoid Kate McClymer? No, it's very hard. So it's very hard because the first thing I do is um, if you come across my radar, the first thing to do is don't behave badly. That's how you can avoid me. But the first thing I do is I will do an ASIC search. If you have a company, I will find out how old you were, where you used to live, whether you've got a mortgage on your house, how much you paid for your house, who lives next door, who lives on the other side, what is your phone number? So don't. Is there, are there like, are the ways that you do that publicly available? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just expensive. (laughs) (laughs) It's just expensive. But I I think I have a sort of an ASIC addiction. You know how people have poker (laughs) machines? I have that thing of doing an ASIC search and my heart is racing <laughs> as I'm waiting to find out who is in that company with that person. Wow. I love it. Some people pay yep. for Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever um, call up Eddie Obed and try to renegotiate a mortgage? Oh, <laughs> no, I think the last time I did ring him up, um, he said to me, you put one word out of line and I will go for you. I will go for the jugular. Have a nice day. <laughs> so nice when you say have a nice day. He's now so in Kirkconnell jail. And I just think having to spend eternity with your son Moses is, yeah. is punishment enough. <laughs> David McBride is a former military officer who served with both the ADF and British armies in Ireland and Afghanistan. And he now faces unlimited years in jail after exposing cover-ups of war crimes committed by Australians in Afghanistan. Yet he did not get invited to the Queen's commemoration ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, please welcome David McBride. David, with unlimited jail on the cards, um, it must play havoc with your psyche. Um, How are you preparing? It's quite of a useful term. The first, uh, when I was first going to court and uh, at a legal aid lawyer, I met a guy who, who was a lifetime prisoner with tats all over him and, and he was like, I'm going to give you some tips when you go to jail, buddy. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he said, you know, you've got to keep it very tidy because it's some people's homes. And he said, you know, he said, what's your cover story going to be? And I said, well, I don't want a cover story. I'm a, I'm a whistleblower. And, and uh, you know, fighting the government. I can't say anyone's going to beat me up. And he was like, no, no, no. He said, they're going to beat you up. He said, <laughs> he said, they won't even understand what a whistleblower is. He said, if I was you, I'd say you killed your sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a mental note. I thought, I'm going to get a bigger tattoo. <laughs> and, then he, and then he said, well, how, how many years are you facing anyone? I said, well, it's unlimited. And he said, what do you mean? I said, it's unlimited. And he said, well, what, 500 years? I said, yeah, maybe. 800? I said, yeah, possibly. If the judge just had a bad day, who knows? And he was like, mm, yeah, you're going to do all right in prison. He said, they might give you a double cell. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that was all right. You could fit one of the OBs. I know. <laughs> when you went through the process of, you know, whistleblowing, did you ever think, oh, geez, I wish I hadn't had exposed the war criminals? Yeah. No, I never thought that. I must admit, I never thought they were low... In the position I'm in now, where it looks like, you know, I could be going to jail uh, for a long time for doing what I thought was the right thing, and I do sometimes think I'm going to sue Hollywood for making, giving me these ideas that right. somehow that was the right thing to do, yeah, like, when actually it was obviously a very dangerous... Like a few good men, that's yeah, all. Yeah, that's yeah. all. That's me. Well, you maybe get a big class. I could be the richest person in jail and never get to be able to spend that money. The sad thing is, like, if you sell your story and it goes really well... <laughs> <laughs> as a feature film. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. It would be around there. <laughs> I know. Watch it in jail. I know. That's yeah. all right. Um, it's quite remarkable what you've done. It's, it's, a, it's a real act of service for democracy. Uh, and it's really astounding that we all know what, you know, our Defence Force has done on our behalf. And I think we're all better off for knowing that. Does your family know that you're a hero? 
you could ever be a hero to your family. And I've, and I've tried to, uh, I've tried to try to pull the hero card a couple of times with my kids when they're playing off and they kind of want this and want more money for the dress or something. And I'm like, look, it's, it's pretty hard for me and I'm, I'm standing up for what is right and, and for your uh, future and your children's future. And, and they go, oh, they roll their eyes and they go, Dad, that's all very well. When are you going to get an actual job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't cut much ice, uh, that's for sure. And even with my... Uh, my ex-wife and I was like telling her about trying to break the news to her that the cops could be coming and, and I was, I'd had secret documents and I was like, look, it's going to, uh, I'm taking on the, the defence force. And she was like, oh, that's wonderful, darling. It's good, good. The filing of nails. And then I'm like, oh, trying to make, she didn't seem that impressed. And I'm like, I'm really taking on the whole government. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's good, darling. And I'm like, she wasn't very impressed and I was trying to get a bit of hero <laughs> um, hero cred. Hero cred, exactly. You'd think you get it. And, and I'm like, and effectively, because of AUKUS and everything, I'm really taking on the, the American government and the CIA. The <laughs> You're NSA. upping the stakes. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm trying to get a bit of oh, The Marvel Cinematic and Universe. She's, doesn't even, <laughs> she's looking at a little bit of you know, rough nails. She's going, oh, that's nice, darling. <laughs> She said, but uh, remember, I've got Pilates tonight, so make, make, <laughs> make sure you're home to pick up the kids oh, in time. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going through the process of whistleblowing, what's like the most absurd thing that you kind of encountered in, with the authorities? You know, what, what's, like, mm. what's the craziest thing? There's a lot. But there's, as you know, I went through all the secret files when I decided something was very wrong in the Defence Force and I, and I spent about six months working at night looking for incriminating documents and I got download them all and, and gave them to the ABC and said, look, these ones, they're all selected, they're all, I've highlighted the sections and anyway, I knew these documents very well and I'd selected them and that's why I'm facing trial. But when I was on trial, they used to take us into the Attorney General's office and this specialty office with all the, where the documents were ostensibly to prepare our case. With security guards and Attorney General's people watching us prepare our case in secret. And the documents were there and they were like, talk, pointing to me, he can't look at the documents <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't have a security clearance and these are classified. And I'm like, I know what's in the fucking documents. <laughs> <laughs> they're the documents I stole. And they're like, I don't care. No, you know, no exceptions. You can't look at the documents. <laughs> and so then they, um, and these documents, these precious documents, and as the time went on, they had to move them around in a safe and the security guards would come around. And, and I think they got sick of it. And one time they had to call us up and said, well, you can't have the documents today because uh, the consignment order got mixed up and they've, you know, gone to a double glazing office in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and we're trying to get them back as soon as we can. <laughs> Did they, did they arrest the double glazers? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they arrested the courier. They came back and they were framed, didn't they? Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, David, thank you for joining us on Rational at all. And, and I hope we can get you again soon, before, at least before or after. Or you from prison. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Give it up for David O'Brien. Mm. Lewis Hobart, everyone. Oh. I want to stand up. Right. I know. Was that an ooh? Fuck yeah. All right. That's right. We're about to get dangerous. This guy's standing up. Okay. Now, secrets. 
We all have them. People on this panel, they don't like them much. Their <laughs> zeal for disclosure is almost religious. But I'm an agnostic member in the Church of Full Disclosure, a bit like the actual church. <laughs> Boy, do they have some secrets. Of course, some secrets deserve to be revealed, but be honest. Every now and then, a journalist uncovers something and you think to yourself, wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> like, why is it that we still don't know if the Queen killed Diana, but we do know that King Charles wants to be his wife's tampon? <laughs> Didn't help me to know that. <laughs> Hasn't stopped him being king. What's the point? You've just made me sad. <laughs> I don't want to know these types of secrets. <laughs> I, I haven't been out of sleep for years because of this. <laughs> but people like you had to go digging around, didn't you? <laughs> you know, when this whole thing broke, the other Nationals MP who thought that uh, Barnaby should be sacked for cheating on his wife was this guy. And then, you know what secrets the damn journalists found out about him? They found out that he'd been chatting to a woman who wasn't his wife using a sugar baby website. <laughs> and that could have been enough. You could have stopped there. But no, you had to tell me the sexts he wrote. <laughs> Do you remember this? When the woman said that she liked an Australian accent and he wrote, I pull you close, run my strong hands down your back, softly kiss your neck and whisper, g'day, mate. I still shudder every time someone says g'day to me. Like, can't you journalists just put out an article every week that says old men still gross? The specifics are ruining me. And it's not just the gross secrets either. Like this week, someone discovered that a glacier in Chile had collapsed. No, keep that to yourself. <laughs> you know, I know climate change is happening, but I can't stop the glaciers from falling in Chile. I'd love to, but I can't, and it's stressing me out. Some things are need to know, right? But some things I don't need to know. Some things. I just need to know that the people who need to know know, you know? <laughs> you can just leave me out of it. Like, journalists need to remember that snitches get stitches. <laughs> Here's a dangerous idea for you. Zip it! <laughs> <laughs> Knowing everything, that's your interest. <laughs> it's a great hobby. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> oh, great. You found out that the Prime Minister had 10 secret jobs and gave out hundreds of millions of dollars to the, in what were basically bribes. Oh, good, good. Now I'm confused and angry. Oh, great. We found out that dead shit politicians are getting paid millions to move overseas when they get chased out of their current jobs here for being shit at them. Oh, great. Well, now I have to think about that. Well, I have to go to my poorly paid work and be competent. It's killing me. I think every journalist should be restricted to one secret per annum. <laughs> On your birthday, you can tell me one secret as a treat. 364 days to plan your next one. Just give me a chance to recover. You know, you want to be a whistleblower? Great. You can only blow one whistle at a time. <laughs> 
I don't want to be told any more about old people secretly fucking their staff or publicly fucking the planet. <laughs> like, I want to know the secret to cooking a good pizza at home, <laughs> one that tastes as good as a restaurant. How do they do it? I want to know the secret to ordering clothes online that fit me the first time. <laughs> I just want to know the secret to not being anxious all the time. <laughs> and I think that starts with not knowing this stuff. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lewis. That is it for Rational Fear. Big thank you for our guests, Dylan, Lewis, Amber, Damien, Kate, David McBride. Also, big thanks to Road Mike's, our new Patreon supporters, Kelly, Catherine, Jenny, the new Blurt, Daniel Harvey, Cecily Hardy, Beck Blake, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, Jacob Round, and our tech Tom, and our tech team here. Until next time, there's always something to be scared of. Good night! That is it for this extra special Anzac Day long weekend version of Irrational Fear. Hope you enjoyed it, no matter where you might be driving around this long weekend. Big thank you to Erin, who pledged on the Patreon. Mel Zemo, who pledged on the Patreon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. John Atchison, dropping some money on the Patreon. Also, Anthony Baldon, upping his um, Patreon membership. Really, really can't thank you all enough for donating to the Patreon because it absolutely helps, you know, we had to spend a whole bunch of money on the, on the Melbourne, uh, Adelaide and Brisbane live shows where we didn't expect, quite expect um, expenses. And the Patreon absolutely helps putting the show together every week. Not only do we pay most of our comedy guests, well, we pay all of our comedy guests, um, but we also we need to pay for things like gigantic props, like cutting and shooting and, and making sketches to sell bits of fence, as you would have heard in the Melbourne show. So big thank you to everyone who helps keep this show financially stable and helps us, you know, uh, muckrake, which is what we love doing. So please head on over to irrationalfear.com forward slash Patreon and uh, and chip in. I would love to see our Patreon triple. You know, currently we have about 10,000 listeners and, you know, we've got about 300 people on the Patreon. What would be great is to have 10% of our listeners helping us out on Patreon. So please head on over there for the price of a cup of coffee a month. Um, you can keep this show on the road. Also, big thank you to Road Mics, Australian Ethical, and Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki Timeline, who's been chopping away um, for a long time on this show. Big thank you to Jacob Round, one of the funniest, best producers about. That is it for Rational Fear. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.